Records were broken. More upsets shaking up conference standings. All of this as we start the playoff push. Mitch, let's talk some football. Let's do it. Talking Illinois high school football. If your goals are as high as you talk about, tonight's the night you go out and just take one more step. It's a view from the West. And it starts right now! Welcome back to View from the West podcast. I'm your host, Greg Armstrong, joined as always by Mitch Stormer. Mitch, we're through week four, moving into week five. This is like the halfway point of the season. It is the halfway point of the season. Can you believe we've gotten this far? Yeah, I mean, it seems like it goes by pretty quickly every year, right? Um, seems like we were just talking about uh, conference previews and, and things of that nature. And, and now we're, you know, by this time next week, we will be over halfway through. So, um, but, you know, we're starting to get into that part of the season where uh, matchups are really, you know, uh, starting to matter a little bit more. You're seeing more conference shifting uh, and seeing more teams get into a position to get that fifth and then obviously automatic sixth to win. So uh, not quite there yet. A lot of things can happen, but uh, you know, the closer we get, the more exciting it becomes. Mitch, what do we call it? Is it the playoff push? Is it the path to the playoffs? Is it the drive for five? What do we, what do we go with here? I don't know if we're in playoff push yet, right? Okay. I mean, that's probably – is that reserved for like, is that reserved for like well, week seven, maybe? I was going to say week six, you know, and certainly depending on, on your record. So um, I think drive for five is always a pretty good, you know, yep. uh, indicator yep. as a season goal. So, um, you know, some teams are, are already there almost, you know, knocking on the door. Um, but, and we'll get into it as we talk about it some more, some teams that are positioning themselves a lot better than maybe we thought they might be at, at least at this stage in the season. You know, teams that have three wins already that maybe we didn't expect. So um, a lot of teams are getting, you know, into good position as we get through the, this basically second half of the season almost. Well, Mitch, that's a perfect segue into what we call our viewpoints, the headlines from week four. Mitch, I'll let you start. What's your viewpoint heading into week five here? Yeah, and just kind of uh, expanding upon that a little bit, you know, we we talked about throughout the year some some of these games in early weeks were kind of pivotal matchups um games that would maybe determine your your standing uh so to speak um in the tiers of these conferences um you know we saw games this week Moline over you know over rocky obviously always a big game not only for uh the western big six but for both teams and their in their playoff pushes um you know we're seeing good things out of quincy geneseo St. Bede, you know, I, I've been talking them up all season. I think St. Bede and Newman was, a, was probably a key game that we looked at for both of those teams. Um, so, you know, games like that, as we just continue to go on, um, and, and as I just talked about, we're seeing more and more teams in a better spot than we thought that they would be in a better spot to get to that fifth win, to get to that sixth win. Mitch, there are two teams in particular that came away with huge wins in the Lincoln Trail Conference and yeah. the Northwest Upstate Illini that pushed those teams to three wins. We'll talk about them in a little bit, but that's a tease ahead. There was a couple teams that really put themselves in a better spot playoff-wise right. with a win in week four. My viewpoint from week four is, Mitch, I was back for Marquette's homecoming, my alma mater. I was back yeah. for homecoming for the first time in years. It, it Maybe since I was in high school. It's been a long right. time since I've been back to the homecoming game. I've been back for regular season games, a few of them and for um, playoff games, certainly. 
but I hadn't been back to homecoming for a while and it, it felt different. It was fun. Yeah. I saw a lot of people from my class. I saw people from my brother's class. Um, my dad had classmates that were in town and we met up with them after the game and kind of sat around and talked. And it was just fun to see a lot of familiar faces, you know, supporting the Marquette football team and supporting Marquette Academy in yep. general. And it was just a lot of fun to, you know, the atmosphere is great. They won the game. We'll get into that a little bit later, but it was just cool. It was cool to be back. It felt different than, you know, I've been to a million homecomings for a million different schools over the years and just covering high school football, to, right. but to be back at my own school, it, it was nice. It was a great Friday night. Yeah. And a nice little nostalgic moment for, for you and you brought the boys. So uh, I can only imagine how, uh, how nice that was for you. Yeah, it was fun. Casey was uh, on the sideline with me for a little while, kind of helping me shoot video he was up with uh, up with grandpa, up with my dad doing some PA announcing. He didn't actually do the PA announcing, but he, you know, he would be the spotter up there in the booth. And uh, and then, of course, other times he was playing football behind the end zone and going and getting candy and doing all the things yeah. that, you know, an 11 year old does at a high school football right. game. So, uh, no, so it was a lot of fun. Mitch, you are you were out of town, out of state at a wedding. Are you recovered? Are you are you back in the fold here ready to go? Yeah, I was able to. Uh you know, see uh, the end of action on a lot of these games. Uh, we, we wrapped up rehearsals and, and things of that nature somewhat early on. And, uh, you know, we had, we had a pretty early day driving out there. So we turned, we tuned in early or tuned turned in early, I should say. And I was able to tune in uh, <laughs> to some of these finishes. So yeah, I was able to still get to still get some of this in on Friday night, even from, uh, even from uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well, all that being said to any of our lawyer loyal listeners of the instant reacts podcast, my apologies. I meant to tweet out early in the weekend that there would not be an instant reacts podcast. Uh, Zach Shapiro was tweeting at us asking if it was going to be happening. So my apologies to everyone who was looking forward to that on Saturday morning with Mitch being out of town and me also being out of town. I wasn't back at WQAD studios to meet up with them. So I'm sorry to everyone who missed out on Brian stocking for a week. Oh yeah. Right. And Matt Randazzo and Corey Cuffler and, and Camille, right. but, but Brian stocking, you missed out on yeah. stocking, but who, uh, who did they have as guest griller this week? Uh, Pat Angerer, former Iowa Hawkeye, oh, and yeah, former sure. uh, NFL sure. player in, from the Indianapolis Colts. Pat Angerer was there. I did not get a chance to see uh, what he grilled. I, I don't yeah. think there was a fire cause I, I didn't hear about that. So that's good. Yeah. So. Uh, speaking, speaking, we don't, you know, we don't talk about Iowa too much, but speaking of Iowa, boy, Bettendorf is not good. Boy, oh. that's, a, that's quite the throw. I mean, well, I'm, I'm not, throwing, I'm not throwing shade on Iowa football, but I mean, in, you know, in, in the time that we worked, Greg, right. And yeah. for the longest time, Bettendorf was the powerhouse, not only in the state. Um, well, I, I should say not only in, in the, the, the conference, but in the state Yeah, and Davenport West was the opposite. And now it's like the tables have turned where Davenport West is really good. And Bettendorf is just really strong. And it was, it's surprising to see, but I, I you know, I have no other context for it other I, than that. I saw it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For our listeners that are near the quad cities, you may have some frame of reference there that it is a very historic football season for West and for Bettendorf yeah. for very different <laughs> reasons. <laughs> right. So Either way, it is it is entertaining. It is uh, very entertaining, making for yeah. a very entertaining season. Uh, you know, one more so positively positively than the other. But uh, to everyone who listens, thank you so much. Spread the word, like we said. If you like what we're doing here and you want to support View from the West, head over to PayPal. Mitch, it's now as easy as going directly to paypal.me slash viewfromwestpod. So paypal.me 
slash view from West pod. If you didn't memorize that, it's okay. It's pinned as our top tweet on our Twitter account right now. So please consider helping us out. Anyway, Mitch, there's a very entertaining football season on the Illinois side. That's yeah, what we that's focus right. on here. So that's let's right. jump into the Western Big Six. Mitch, it's it's the rivalry of all rivalries. One of maybe the oldest in the state, Moline and Rock Island. Moline gets the win 49 to 24. The story of this one, Riley Fuller racked mm-hmm. up 262 yards, scored five touchdowns in the win against Rock Island. Mitch, he now has 750 yards and 11 touchdowns through four games. Can you save you from the West player of the year candidate? Yeah, he's uh, he is on the right track. There's no doubt about it coming. That's that's back to back weeks of uh, of over what do you have 279 yards last week. So two two uh, straight weeks of over 260. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, so he had touchdown runs of 92 yards, 81 yards, and 64 yards. His breakaway speed was impressive to see in this one, but he credited the O-line. And Mitch, I got to agree with him. You don't do that kind of damage without having a little bit of help up front. I think we knew that this Moline line would be pretty good, and they really have been proving it. And it's been coming out in the stats for Fuller, but but they've, they've been getting the work up done up front for sure. Right. And, and it, it, we talked a little bit about last week again that we, you know, we didn't know quite what Moline's offense would look like this year. We had an idea, but, you know, maybe didn't know how effective they would be. And they've certainly answered that question already. Um, so all the credit to Coach Morrissey, to the staff, to the players on that as they continue again in this, in this game here and as they have all season to really be impressive on the ground. Yeah, let's dive into this game a little bit. Moline built a 20 to 3 lead, but Rock Island's Quintarian Brooks punched it in from 13 yards out that cut the lead to 20 to 10 at the half. He would finish with 138 yards on the ground in the second half. Things got interesting. Rock Island would cut the lead to 20 to 17 late in the third quarter after Connor DiUlio found a wide open Desmond Woodson for a 32 yard touchdown pass. Rock Island seemed to be gaining a little momentum, but Mitch, I don't think, I need to really put a pop quiz in front of you. Guess who answered for the Maroons? Yeah. Riley Fuller going 64 yards for a touchdown. Moline would force five turnovers on the night, including Cooper Marsh, a pick six. And that would pretty much do it. Moline looking really good in this one. They run away with it. It may have been a little closer than this score indicates, but uh, credit to Moline. They look really tough and they win the rivalry this year. Yeah. And, you know, as a second straight week, really, um, you know, where their defense is such a good complement to that run game, forcing the turnover, the turnovers, key stops. They did the same thing against Quincy last week, a good, really good uh, offense in Quincy, um, especially what they did this week that we'll talk about here in a minute. But um, so as much as we talk about the Moline offense, that running game for good reason, uh, the defense continues to need to have, you know, recognition, recognition, um, Recognition. This, there you go. Recognition, right? In the <laughs> season long, in the season long, uh, you know, progression because they seem to be getting better and better as well. Yeah. Yep. Moline looking good. They get the win. They remain unbeaten in Western Big Six play. Let's move along to Quincy. They get the win over United Township, forty-nine to fourteen. This one was also an interesting game because the final score makes it, makes it look like a rout. But you right. certainly would not think that watching in the first half. 
Jarius Rice scored from 32 yards out midway through the first quarter. That gave Quincy a lead. Both teams traded field position for a while in the first half. The Panthers would put together an 81-yard scoring drive, capped off by a quarterback keeper from Matthew Kelly. That would tie the game at seven. Now, at this point, we're late first half. It's tied at seven. I know the final score, but I watched the replay of this game. And literally at one point I had to double check to make sure I was watching the right game. Cause I I'm right. waiting to see all this offense and I it's seven, seven and it's almost halftime. Well then, as I think that in a matter of seconds, Braden little finds Jake Metalmeyer over the middle. He finds a seam goes 70 yards for the score right before half, like literally within about 20 seconds of the half. So mm-hmm. it's 13, seven heading into the break. Quincy goes on to score the next 35 points. And Mitch, this is where the record-setting performance takes over for Braden Little. Yeah. Um, and, and before we get into that, because I know that you'll probably give this to me uh, during the St. Bede recap, um, but I'm going to throw it back to you because you've been pretty high on Braden Little lately, and for good reason, um, if nothing else than what he did uh, on Friday night. So, um, yeah, the story of the game, story of the second half certainly was Braden Little sets a single-game Quincy School record with five touchdowns and 373 passing yards, Greg. Only a, soft, yeah. only a sophomore. You know, we've seen in this conference um, specifically QB starting to play their sophomore year. We saw it with Geneseo last year, saw it in UT last year. Um, little seems to maybe be a, a step ahead of where those guys were last year. And, man, the future is so bright for, for him, I think, and for this Quincy team. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing him doing the damage and he's got some weapons around him. On the receiving end, Meadowmeyer finished with 148 yards on three touchdowns. Gregory Quince, a name we talked about a lot last year, added two receiving touchdowns. Senior Brian Douglas had 110 yards on the ground. He also had 24 receiving yards. Tykel Hammers led Quincy's receiving core with six catches for 99 yards. So they're really spreading the wealth here. I think in the preseason, we talked about a lot of different names. One of them actually, unfortunately, being Aiden Byquist, who's, mm-hmm. not, who's not here. He's injured out for the year. He'll be back next year. But in the meantime, it's been next man up. This Quincy right. team has a lot of weapons, and they're utilizing them, and they're playing really well. Arguably, uh, their best player isn't even on the field for them, and then here they are uh, sitting at 3-1, at and one, right? Um, yep. And, and again, I've just been so impressed with how – it seems like better and better they've been playing right after their their uh, first game against Quincy Notre Dame in week one. They've just continued to look better and better. So uh, big things coming here for the Blue Devils, I think, um, you know, really looking forward to their game this week when they go to Galesburg, which we'll get to in a minute. But again, from a more of a, a longer outlook, um, I think Quincy is going to be a team here, even this season and going into the next season, that's going to be starting to creep up with the Sterlings and the Mullins. Mitch, getting back to United Township, they were in this game. It was 7-7, almost mm-hmm. halftime. And then you think about the ways that Quincy was able to score. It's almost complete opposites. They score with Metamire's 70-yard touchdown run in a matter of seconds. And then on the flip side, they start the second half with a long drive. I believe the score gets up to 21-7. So you mm-hmm. look at, you had it tied at, UT had it tied at 7 almost to halftime and then you start the third quarter and before you know it it's a long sustained drive you're down two touchdowns 
I just, yeah. this United Township team, they're way better than an 0-4 team. That said, yeah. they've had mistakes and they've had things that haven't worked out in their favor. They got some things to figure out. I still think there's some upsets along the way, but I don't think someone should look at this record and say, same old UT from five, six, seven years ago. Because I right. don't think that's the case. There's too much talent on this team to say that. But there's things that have got to change. There's things that just aren't working right now for them. They've got to figure out a way to, you know, to flip that a little bit if they want to pull off some upsets down the stretch. Yeah, um, I think you, you nailed it there. So it, it's, it's unfortunately, a, you know, a rough year record-wise for UT. Uh, but they've shown signs, you know, and they've continued to show signs. They just need to put it all together. And as you said, there's opportunities there, um, you know, this season. So looking forward to seeing how they continue to get better. Uh, and get a win this year. Yep. Before we wrap up our Quincy talk, Mitch, I got to give a shout out to Matt Shuckman and Don O'Brien from Muddy River Sports. I recommend, I want to recommend their podcast, Muddy, the Muddy River Breakdown. I've enjoyed listening, hearing their perspective from the Quincy point of view when we're talking yep. Western Big Six. It's been, it's been good to hear, you know, kind of their thoughts on the season yep. as Quincy has gone along. So I, I recommend it to everybody. I feel like we promote their coverage and now we're kind of bridging that gap in the Western big six, right? This is kind of, it's kind of our public service to the, the big six. We're, we're bridging communities together, making the big six a little smaller, right? Yeah. People helping people is what we're all about here. <laughs> That's so, right. Uh, now, yeah. We, we love their coverage and uh, uh, looking forward to continuing to see it uh, throughout the rest of the year. Now I will say we can bring people together, but it doesn't, it doesn't make the drive any shorter. It's still the same distance, right. but yeah, you know, that's right. Yeah. We do what we can. Thanks. Right, that's exactly right. <laughs> we do what we can. Well, let's go on to Sterling getting the win 69 to nothing over Alleman. Golden Warriors scored 13 points in the first quarter. They add another 42 points in the second quarter to lead this game 55 nothing at the half. Mitch, 69 points is the most scored by a Golden Warrior team in 50 years. So not quite a program record but pretty darn close. We had plenty of record-breaking performances. This one came pretty darn close. If you haven't done it in 50 years, I'd say it's still pretty impressive. Right, yeah. The, um, again, we, we've talked a lot about all of them in this year. Uh, we know the struggles that they're going to have, and, and it, this is it, – it's a bit expected, right, to see an outcome like this when, when you've got a team like Sterling playing as well as they've been playing all year against a team like Allman who's just a, a rebuilding – uh, to the best of their abilities. But a a as you said, circumstances is what they are. Anytime you can, uh, uh, you know, set, set a record, uh, certainly in that sort of time frame with a program like Sterling, uh, pretty impressive. And and they've been doing it in the same ways that we've seen them do all season, right? They, they were playing to their strengths. Kale Lettergerber scored a pair of touchdowns early in this one. Justin Knoll had a couple of touchdowns. Uh, good to see Antonio Tablante back on the field. He also had a couple of touchdowns. And then names that we're so familiar with, AJ Kested, uh, JP Schilling. So it was a whole, the whole cast of Golden Warriors in this one. Um, it, more of a tune-up game for them. Big game this week that we'll talk about too. Game of the game of the week, probably, and then across the whole slate of games with Geneseo. So really looking forward to that one. So good win for Sterling. Uh, hopefully they come out unscathed, get their you know injuries taken care of, and uh, they'll be ready to go for a big matchup in in this uh, upcoming week. Yep. Well, speaking of that Geneseo football team, they came away with the win over Galesburg 21 to seven homecoming night, hall of fame night at Bob Reed field. 
The Leafs overcome some injuries, played defiantly on defense, jump out to 2-0 record in conference play. Connor Welke and Jaden Winezero sidelined with injury. Junior A.J. Weller led all rushers with 152 yards, two touchdowns on 17 carries, also completed five of seven passing for 65 yards and a touchdown. Junior running back Jaron Neal really stepped up this week, filling in for Welke, added 66 yards on 15 carries. So Mitch, great performance by A.J. Weller. Good to see him kind of step in and really take on that role when it was needed. Hopefully. The players we referenced are back on the field, certainly impact players for the Maple Leafs. They'll really need down the stretch if they're healthy. Hopefully they are. But Mitch, this Geneseo defense, they're getting the job done. Yeah, and again, as they have all season, they continue to shine. They still rank uh, first in conference in points allowed. I think they've only allowed 50 through four games. So they're going to be tested, though, this week. Yeah, and a good Sterling team. And again, we'll get to that matchup in a minute. But for the streaks... Uh, new quarterback, I believe, Geno Williams. Yeah. Uh, in, in for Tristan Legate, had a pretty highlight, uh, a pretty good highlight play in the second quarter. He evaded a, a few Geneseo defenders and scrambled. It was only seven yards out, but he ran, you know, more like thirty <laughs> by the end of the play. So, um, you know, a, a nice play for for them. But again, it was that Geneseo de- defense that just kept that offense in check and scored just enough times to make this somewhat of a comfortable win. Yeah, I was impressed with what I saw on that run, like you said, from Gino Williams from the quarterback position. I don't know what kind of arm he has, but, you know, certainly that kind of athleticism is a weapon, you know, out of the quarterback spot. So see what um, Galesburg can do. And down the road, I don't know if Tristan Legate will be out for with injury or, um, you know, what the exact situation is there. Certainly hope he's healthy, but it was nice to see you know, like we've talked about the next man in having some success there and that being Williams for Galesburg. Well, let's look at the week five slate in the Western big six. We have rock Island at United township, Quincy at Galesburg, Geneseo at Sterling and Moline taking on Alleman. Mitch. I think you already kind of called it out the rivalry game this week, the game of the week in the Western big six Geneseo at Sterling. Yeah, I, I think that's going to also be probably my game of the week across all the conferences conferences that we that we talk about. Um, this this is really going to set either one of these two teams, I think, to you know on a, on a collision course with Moline for the conference crown. Um, biggest questions kind of going into this is the health of both teams, right? Um, Sterling got Antonio Tablante back. Um, not sure if Kill Ryan was playing on Friday, but certainly on the Geneseo side of things with without having uh, Wenzel and Welke. Again, did they just sit out as precautionary so they are ready for this big game next, you know, this upcoming week? I, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate either. So assuming, let's just assume both teams are healthy, right? They both have similar strengths. So um, I think it will come down to defense, which defense can stop the other's unit. Um, obviously, Sterling has been so versatile this year. Um, and Geneseo has proven to be the same. So these are two really good, nearly identical type of, you know, uh, teams so far this season. So really looking forward to this on Friday. Yeah, Mitch, we talked about it. It was your viewpoint to start the show. I think this becomes one of those pivotal games. You know, this becomes yeah. one of those X factor type of games that we'd call it because right now you got Sterling and Geneseo both at two and O and Moline is sitting at two and O in conference play as well. And Moline plays, Sterling and Geneseo in weeks eight and nine. So Mm -hmm. depending on what happens in this one, 
one of these teams has potential to be right in the mix with Moline, depending on what happens. Obviously, Moline needs to win their games as well. And then the other, you know, factor is that you have Quincy and Rock Island with one loss. So there's a lot to play, a lot at play here. But I think for these two teams in particular, Geneseo and Sterling, if they want to stay on that path, this is a big game for them. Yeah, that's the one I'm looking forward to. Yep. Well, Mitch, let's get into the Three Rivers Athletic Conference. The big game that stood out to me, St. Bede gets the win 34-7 to over Sterling Newman. Yeah. Mitch, the Bruins are 4-0 for the first time since I was a freshman in high school. Yeah. That's, that's been quite a long time ago. That's 1997 we're talking I was gonna about. Say, I was going to say, say the year. You can't just lead <laughs> off with that. You got to say the year. So, uh, yeah, yeah, so that's uh, that stat impresses me. Um, yeah, it surprises me, I guess, is another way to say that because that's it's been what 20 some years. I can't even do the math 25 years, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, it, I, I talked about it, I think, um, when we were talking about this game last week in the preview, that this was a game where we saw a really good, you know, it was a really good uh St. Beat offense against a really stout Newman defense and a really stout St. B defense against maybe a struggling Newman offense. Yep. And that's exactly how it played out, right? Um, the offense just shined for the Bruins. And, and again, that Newman offense just continues to get one score a game almost. So, um, but, but more than that, it, it's more impressive for St. B that they continue to do what they've been doing all season. Yeah, well, let's talk through it a little bit. Mitch, he's got to be a player of the year candidate for us already. St. Bede's. John Brady with another four touchdown passes. And like you said, the strong defensive effort for the Bruins highlighted by two interceptions that led him to the win. Let's talk through the game a little bit. Game stayed close for most of the first half. The separation came late in the first half and early in the second. Again, similar to Quincy, two different styles on the final drive of the first half. St. Bede drove 66 yards, converting two fourth down and twos on their way to grab a 20-8 to halftime lead. Early second half, St. Bede strikes again. This time, it's the quick strike, 39-yard or 69-yard touchdown pass from Brady to Mason Hurst. So just being able to be effective on two different styles of offense, the grind it out, make sure you get those fourth down conversions, keep moving the ball downfield, keep the chains moving, or boom, that big strike, that dangerous kind of passing game that John Brady is shown to have that makes same beat a very dynamic offense. If they can, you know, punch it in in two different ways like that. Yeah. And, you know, increasingly becoming a very intriguing play in the one, a rankings, as we've seen some, maybe some turmoil um, in the one, a rankings this season. Um, I, I really like how they're positioning themselves to maybe make a playoff run here. Obviously a long ways to go, but they haven't shown me anything, but, uh, but that sense uh, we talked a little bit about the St. B defense. And it's again, that name that we talked about last week, it's Ryan Brady. And what else? He had an interception. It's, yeah, his, fourth, yeah. it's his fourth straight game with an interception. So, so basically his brother, John's throwing touchdown yeah. passes and he's right. picking off passes. So right. yeah, I would, I would advise teams to not throw that way. Um, <laughs> but it, it, you know, he might find the ball anyway, the, the ball Hawk that he's been playing like, so yeah, and then, uh, again, he picks off a pass, returns to the Newman uh, 41, and two plays later, John Brady finds Tom McCransky over the middle for a 23-yard touchdown. So, uh, and, and Brady would add a fourth touchdown pass to, to really bring this one 
to its final resting place in the third. So once again, it, it's a really great win for St. Pete. It's another impressive performance as they move on. Uh, looking ahead to this week, I think they do have a bye week. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it will affect them in terms of like riding that momentum, but it'll give them a, maybe a chance to reset um you know fix <laughs> if they're having some issues which i'm sure that they are they're not really showing up on the scoreboard so um they, they might have a bye week here but uh, that would give them their fifth win so there you go yeah an impressive start for the bruins and when you consider that some of the teams they're beating newman is usually a 2a school uh yeah. they beat kiwani early in the year which has been a 4a school so when yeah. you start looking down the way that's an impressive resume for a yeah. same beat team that's going to end up in the one, a bracket, you know, right. so that there, there's a lot of potential there um, for them in that, in that class one, a pool. So we'll see where they end up. Mitch, let's talk about the other team making all the headlines in the three rivers. Princeton gets the 70 to 21 win over Mendota. Mitch, the final score may not reflect the start for the tigers. They fumbled yeah. the opening kickoff. Then again, they fumble on their opening possession. But to say the memory was quickly erased would be a massive understatement. Tigers explode for seven touchdowns in the second quarter to run away with a 49-point halftime lead on their way to the big win. 70 points, the most a Princeton team has scored going back six decades. So, Mitch, these these records, these historic numbers were putting up in week four. It was it was a lot of fun for some teams and other teams, maybe not so much, but uh, Princeton's looked really good. Yeah. Uh, again, you, you hate to, to sound like a broken record, but it's just the same old thing, right? For Princeton, just another team that they just steamroll. Um, and, and it's the same type of players, right? Tegan Davis, uh, who committed last week, I believe it was right to Eastern yep. Illinois. Yep. Uh, you know, really proved why here, right? Two touchdowns on the ground through for two more. And we had a pick six. So, um, <laughs> yeah. actually, I don't know if it was a pick six, but he returned an interception. Oh, no, he did. Yeah, it was a pick six. I'm it sorry. was pick so, six. Yeah. yeah. Give, him, uh, give him the credit here. Yeah. So, so five touchdowns. And apparently that was all in the second quarter. So, why not? <laughs> um, finished with 316 yards, passing the second most in school history. So, um, and five touchdowns. So, again, we're just seeing terrific uh, passing performances uh, from a lot of good quarterbacks here in, in the area. Mitch you know, from firsthand experience, it's hard to do two, four touchdowns and an interception for a touchdown in a game or in a couple games, let alone in one quarter. Yeah. I don't think I did it in a season. So uh, <laughs> yeah, to do it in one quarter, um, that is incredibly impressive. But again, it's, it's Tegan Davis. It's, you know, would you expect anything less? I, I don't think you would. So um, again, this is a great win for Princeton. Um They've probably started four and zero. I, I can't remember when they played. Q- was Kiwani the first game they played last year? Maybe no. It was it was week five. So it was okay. It was, um, so yep. This yeah, week a with, year with, ago. Without looking at it, I'm, I'm sure they have started four and zero. You know, I would think for so the, the, for for the past few seasons here. So, um, well, yeah, well, we'll need to consult. We'll need to consult the uh, the record books on Mitch Stormer's stats there to see. You know. Right. I was, very Mitch, vague about, I was very vague about it, so I feel like I would probably get away with it. <laughs> so let's see here. Tegan Davis finished with 316 yards passing, the yep. second most in school history, and he had the five touchdowns. Yep. How about – we're not done yet, though. How about the day from Noah Laporte, 
six four yeah. sophomore on the receiving end of four Davis touchdowns, good for a school record six two hundred and six yards and three touchdowns, including an eighty yarder and a forty eight yarder in the second yeah. quarter. He actually broke the record was set a year ago by Bennett Siren, so potentially yeah. one of his teammates from a year ago. Right. So just a lot of impressive numbers and just impressive football being played in Princeton right now. Well, you, you wonder kind of if Noah Laporte might be following the Tegan Davis, you know, uh, career line where he Could was a receiver be. and then, you know, converted to quarterback. Uh, I don't know anything about if, if Noah Laporte can throw. Um, but uh, again, when you have that sort of athleticism on the outside, Princeton has proven that they can, you know, use you in other ways. Uh, and be versatile in that in that way. So yeah, good to see him, and, and uh, fortunate enough to see him hopefully for a couple of years of, uh, of Princeton football here left. Very very intriguing, very intriguing thought there, Mitch. Uh, quickly before we wrap this one up, looking at uh, Mendota's day, Anthony Childs did give the Trojans a spark with a seventy yard touchdown run in the second quarter. That would cut it to twenty one seven. Obviously, it wasn't nearly enough in this one, but um, good to see him continue to have success yep. for the Trojans. Mitch, let's go to one of the biggest games in the Three Rivers, one of the biggest results, important wins for the Morris yep. and Mustangs. They get the win over Hall in overtime, 38-32. Mitch, the Red Devils scored 24 points in the fourth quarter to force overtime. In overtime, the Mustangs scored on a touchdown the Red Devils stopped their two-point conversion. On their opening play for Red for the Red Devils uh, possession in overtime, they start with a nine-yard touchdown run. So that put them at the one-yard line because the high school rules, you start at the 10. Puts them yep. at the one. A bobbled snap of play later ends up in a five-yard loss. Then on third down, they fumble the handoff. Morrison recovers to win the game. Yep, Mitch, I got to give huge credit to Morrison here. Because when you give up 24 points in the fourth quarter, yeah. man, it's easy to get frustrated. And, you know, I don't think you say give up, but it's easy to start looking around and say, what do we got to do to win this game? What's right. going wrong? And to kind of suck it up and keep mentally strong and to pull this one out. This is a huge win for Morrison. Well, I think that goes back to how they've been playing this season, right? They played Newman close. The score didn't indicate that, like we talked about with Newman's, uh, you know, short uh, goal to gain uh, short, sort of possessions played yep. Kiwani tough uh, played Roseville tough and squeaked out a win there so this is just how they, they've been they've been playing close games but again yep. because of that when you get into situ situations like this you're you're emotionally you're mentally you know sort of prepared for that and equipped for that and this was a game remember last year that that Hall just steamrolled Morrison McIntosh had five touchdowns I think in that game so revenge win for Morrison good to see them um get their second win uh, a team that we talked about at the beginning of the year that we thought they would do better than they did last year they've got a, an opportunity for a third straight win playing Sherrard this week so um but they're doing it on the ground Greg a, a, a traditional Morrison team uh Carson Strading Brady Anderson Logan Baker they combined for over 300 yards uh, quarterback Danny Mao connecting with his key receivers Chase Newman Deshaun McQueen um so yeah, this is really, really good for Morrison. Um, love to see that win here and it's pull off a, a cliffhanger of a game. Yeah. Mitch, one of the, you know, important X factors here for this Morrison offense seems like it's Brady Anderson. He's kind of emerged yeah. as a freshman, really starting to be 
a productive back for them. And as he goes, it seemed like this team goes. So that's, that's a huge piece for them. So we'll yep. see, you know, what he can continue to do and continue to make a difference for Morrison. Mitch, you mentioned Mac Resetich. He's still got his in this one, scored four touchdowns in this one for the Red Devils. They yep. fall to one and three on the season. But getting back to Morrison, that's huge. They start 0-2, now looking at 2-2. Two and two. Mitch, we'll talk about it later in the show, but I, I do think there's potential for this Morrison team to find themselves with five wins. I think yep. there's potential for that to happen. We'll talk more about it in a little bit. Let's look down the way. Rock Ridge gets the 51-21 to 21 win over Erie Prophetstown. Peyton Locke returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown. That jump-started the Rockets out to a 44-7 to halftime lead. Never looking back, Jacob Bain, Cam Bonzak, Connor Deem, and Alex Zarlatanis all scored for the Rockets as well. Mitch, this Rock Ridge offense, when they get rolling, when they get clicking, that is a huge sign for them because the defense has been playing really well. So. Yeah. If that offense can start being productive, it's, you know, look out because they're combining, you know, both aspects of football playing really well. Yeah. Another impressive, uh, impressive win for, for Rock Ridge is they're really, you know, it, it seems like they're starting to hit their stride a little bit, I would say. Um, especially coming off a week where they had a forfeit win, they didn't play last week. Yep. Uh, and you never know how you're going to, you know, come back from, from that. So. Um, good to see that they are really, you know, um, they haven't let that Princeton loss, you know, kind of overtake their season in, in, a, in a game where they played really well. And I guess that probably should have been an indicator of how they're playing now because uh, they, they played Princeton better than anybody else has so far this year. So, um, yeah, the, the way that they're being dynamic and scoring in, in multiple ways with multiple people, very encouraging as they continue to move on and uh, they themselves make yet another playoff push. Yeah, Mitch, go, yeah, going way back to week one in that Princeton game, I mean, the, the score ended up being, you know, not close, but right. through halftime, it was. They were hanging around with them. They really were doing some things well. And I know that's that, you know, that, that doesn't get you anywhere necessarily, but I do think long term, it kind of shows that the defense is there for Rock Ridge. We know they have the high powered offense and they continue to show it like this. It's going to be a good year for the Rockets and continue to be a good year for the Rockets. On the uh, Erie Prophetstown side of things, Jace Grunder, a name we're really familiar with, had a kickoff return for a touchdown. The Panthers also recorded a pick six. So Erie Prophetstown right now sitting at two and two on the year. Yeah. See where their season will continue to go from here. Mitch, moving down the way in the Three Rivers Athletic Conference, Monmouth Roseville gets the 51 to 20 win over Sherrard. C.J. Johnson ran the ball 17 times for 156 yards, four touchdowns, plus he had a 72-yard interception return for a touchdown. Silas Braun continues to play well, 116 yards rushing with a rushing touchdown. Mitch, they didn't need to pass very much in this one. I, I don't think they passed hardly at all, but, you know, they didn't really need to. They were getting, to, getting the job done on the ground, and they get the win here. Yeah, and good to see them. You know, they, they've had a bit of a start to the season that maybe we didn't expect. So good to see them get back on track um, here with, with uh, again, the, the great play of C.J. Johnson and Silas Braun, like you mentioned. So uh, does this give them a little bit more of a push now to get back on track like they want it to be um, with, uh, with the five games left that they have? Yeah, Mitch, you know, we talk about those X-Factor games. They got two in a row coming up. We'll talk about them in a little bit. But when you look at Rockridge next week, followed yep. by Orion, Yep. Those are two games that are going to go a long way in deciding some playoff fate 
for these teams, I believe. So we'll yep. uh, get into that in a little bit. But first, we got one more game to discuss. Kiwani gets the big win, 40-7 to over Bureau Valley. Boilermakers scored on their first four drives. They built a 26-point lead and route to the victory. Alex Duarte and Garrett Pettis each scored a couple of touchdowns to lead the Boilermakers. One highlight for the Storm, quarterback Bryce Helms threw to Eli Adig, who caught a ball, beat out some defenders, and went 96 yards for the touchdown. So credit to him on that one. A great highlight, huge run for him. Wasn't enough in this one as Kiwani looked really good, got back into the win column there. Well, Mitch, we want to jump into week five here. Yeah, let's look at these matchups here. Um, a big one, historically, obviously the big rivalry, Kiwani going to Princeton. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe this year, uh, again, you never know what's going to happen, but Princeton has just looked so much so much better than anybody that they've played in Kiwani. Maybe having a down year, but again, rivalry game, you never know what's going to happen. Mendota going to Hall. Sherrard goes to Morrison. Bureau Valley will host Newman. Orion, coming off their bye week, will travel to Erie Provincetown. Monmouth Roseville hosts Rock Ridge. And St. Bede, uh, it would appear that they have a bye week. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with, you know, the game games that stand out to me. I'm obviously Kiwani Princeton, like you referenced, it's a rivalry game. But what about Orion at Erie Provincetown and yeah. Rock Ridge at Monmouth Roseville? Yeah. Two games that really you're going to start to see some separation in that three rivers um, rock side of the division. You know, you're yeah. really going to start to see which teams are moving up to the north towards the top of the standings and who's going to stay near the middle. You know, I, I think right. these are some separation here. What do you like? Yeah, I like those two uh, rock Ridge and, and Monmouth Roseville, the top two teams in the rock right now. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to stick to what I said uh, earlier. I'm looking at the Morrison game. Can they get their, their third win, um, you know, and third straight win, something that they they might not have had for a couple of seasons. So certainly a winnable game there in Sherrard, the way that Morrison's been playing. Uh, again, battle-tested. That, that's going to only uh, help them and, and come off an emotional win against Hall last week. So looking forward to seeing if the Mustangs can pull off three straight here. Yeah. Man, I was looking earlier today, and I thought I wanted to do Kiwani at Princeton. But then as we kept re reading through games, I thought, well, Maybe I want to do Geneseo and Sterling, but now I'm looking at Rock Ridge and Monmouth Roseville and thinking yeah. like, maybe I want to do that game. So I, so many potential games here. I really think the Rock Ridge Monmouth Roseville game is one that's going to be good. I yeah. want to see if, if Rock Ridge can, can, can continue to play solid football on both sides of the ball. And for Monmouth Roseville, I think it's, we need to see them play a full game at their full potential, right? We've mm -hmm. talked so much about them to start the season and they've made it to two and two now, and they still have the Riverdale game on their schedule. So if that's going to be a win for them, potentially, yep. you know, they already have three wins, you know, really, if they're going to go with that, go with that forfeit win, but right. right I, I just, I really want to see Monmouth Roseville play a full game and they, and they did they played well against Sherrard but now this one's going to be a tough test against Rockridge yeah if, if you if you count that Port Byron by as their fourth win they've got to get at least one win from Rockridge Orion Erie Provincetown or Princeton so a pretty good lineup there but again if, if Monmouth Roswell can play the way that they did uh this past week hopefully that gives them some momentum 
And then one of those games, if not two of those games, will be winnable. Well, so they have three, technically, three wins right now. They were two oh, I'm sorry. Two. Yes, I was counting that. Okay, so yeah, yep. so they need – yeah, I'm sorry. They do need three wins out of those then. So, again, hopefully they use this as kind of a jump-off point uh, to get there. Yep. Let's move into the Lincoln Trail Conference. Mitch, the game I was at, a, a, a non-conference game for Anawan Weathersfield. They go on the road to Ottawa Marquette. They fall 24-7. to Mitch, this was a matchup of teams that I thought were two of the better teams in class 1A. I had them in my top 10 rankings for mm-hmm. NUICfootball.com. Um, Crusaders come away with a victory in this one. I think it's going to be two 1A playoff teams. These are teams that we're going to yeah. see down the road in the playoffs. And so this was a matchup with a lot of playoff implications. Marquette took an early lead and they controlled this one throughout. What really impressed me, though, was the Crusaders' defense. They limited the Titans offense to 45 yards Mitch we've seen how dynamic this A&W offense can be and Marquette mm-hmm. really seemed to have an answer for anything they tried to do it, it was really impressive yeah um, I think you nailed it on the head when you said that this was you know a really good matchup um, but two playoff teams right um, Anna Weathersfield has been playing really well this year and obviously so is a, a Marquette so um yeah, a great job by by Coach Jobs in this one. Um, as they continue, again, you were there. You're gonna have more insight than I will. But um, you know, Alex Graham looked like he continued to play well again this this uh, this this week, and uh, they continue to roll. Yeah, Alex Graham is fun to watch at quarterback because he's. I mean, he's almost like an extra coach on the field. I mean, he's yeah. he's almost like rolling out of the pocket and almost like directing traffic. And even when he's on the sidelines, you can tell he's talking to coaches and he's really kind of you know, scheming or game planning or talking about what he's seeing on the field. And that's such a valuable asset to have from the quarterback position to be able to kind of call plays or learn and see adjustments in real time. Yeah. But, you know, getting back to the gameplay here overall, I thought the Titans played pretty well defensively. They limited big plays for the most part, but man, coach Yups to the Crusaders really put on a clinic in ball control and time of possession. They held the ball for almost 33 minutes of this game. Out of what, 40, right? Yeah, I mean, they just really grinded out the clock. So Caden Eiler had two interceptions, and the biggest play of the game for the Crusaders, he hauled in a 45-yard pass from Alex Graham. So overall, a really impressive effort from the Crusaders. But on the flip side, I think that Anawan Weathersfield, they still have everything in front of them. They got... Mm -hmm. You know, every conference game left out there, they'll do a lot of damage in the Lincoln Trail. I think this was just a really good playoff type atmosphere and a playoff preview of what we could potentially see down the road. Well, the Armstrongs were in the house, so they had to put on a show uh, and leave it at that. I think that was the reason that was the key to the game. It was it was fun. It was a fun night. So, uh, Mitch, let's move into Stark County and Elmwood Brimfield. Mitch, this is one of those games we talked about to start the show. This is one of those huge games that makes a big difference down the road in the standings. Stark County gets the 31-22 win over a previously unbeaten Elmwood Brimfield team. Mm-hmm. So now Stark County moves to 3-1 and one on the season. Mitch, yeah. the Rebels knock off Elmwood Brimfield. It has to be what, what you'd call an upset. Trojans are a 3A program, not to mention they were a six-win playoff team a year ago. So great win for Stark County and head coach Jade Nord. 
yeah, th- this is this is impressive. You know, coming back from tough loss last week to a really good Knoxville program, but I I, I look at the schedule ahead for Stark County and playing the way that they did against uh, against Elmwood here, they're they're going to be a playoff team, and that's 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 really exciting for for the Rebels. Um, rushed for almost 400 yards in this one, Greg. Really just uh, just took it to the Trojans. Um, you know they they. They thought they'd have to go in the air a little bit more, but credit to the Rebels line and that rushing attack for, for doing really doing a lot of work and allowing that 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 rushing attack to do its job. So they didn't have to go into the air. So they would be able to control the clock and ultimately win this in a in a nine point game. You know? Yeah, I love that uh, the linemen, you know, the big boys doing work up front. They got a shout out from SC Rebels football, the yeah. Twitter account for Stark like County. So it's Stotler, Price, Baxter, Hess, and Merriman. I'm not talking about a law firm, but I'm talking right. about the, the offensive line for Stark County. They did the way. They led the way up front. An impressive effort behind uh, Rewerts. Got had 181 yards and three touchdowns. Henry, 116 yards and a touchdown. And Orwig, 93 yards and a touchdown. So, you know, just overall, man, talk about an effort on the ground. You know, that yep. it's just job well done for Stark County. And Mitch, like you said, looking down their schedule, being at three wins now, I think Stark County has what it takes to get back to the playoffs. Well, you know, we'll talk about them a little bit later, later when we start talking about, you know, our playoff projections right. looking down the way, but they've certainly put themselves in a good spot right now. Yep. Uh, again, it, it had they lost this game, um, they, they certainly had some more work to do, but as you just said, they're really in, in a good spot. They're, they're playing United having a down year. So I could see that being their fourth win. Uh, so yeah, exciting times there in rebel country. Yep. Let's move along to Knoxville getting the win over United 44 to 28 blue bullets remain undefeated on the season with the win. Bo Honeycutt threw for three touchdowns, two of them to Braden downs, another one to Sawyer Tucker. Also, Jackson Johnson continues to play well, 149 yards and three touchdowns. Nolan McClay, seven tackles. Will Shreves keeps getting it done on defense. He had another interception. That's his third of the season. Next week, Mitch, next week is a big non-conference game. Yeah. We'll talk about that one a little bit. That one's one I'm excited for. Yeah, that, that's going to be some star power there. Um you know, we've we've liked both of those teams for the past couple of seasons, and they're both having good years this year as well. So, uh, yeah, as exciting as, as you know, non-conference matchups that we've had to talk about all season, uh, this is certainly going to be one of them. Yeah, so it'll be Knoxville and Dupec in a non-conference game next week. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let's get through the rest of the action in the Lincoln Trail. Rova Williams Field gets back on track. They defeat Princeville 30-18. to Cougars move to 3-1 and on the season. They got a big showdown coming up in week five against, guess who? The next team we're going to talk about, Mercer County. Mercer County, the Golden Eagles get the 59-7 to win over A-Town. Mercer County scored nine touchdowns on their way to the victory. Colby Cox ran for 350 yards as the Golden Eagles improved to 3-1. and Side note, Mitch, they beat Farmington to start the year who yep. has now since gone three and O rolling over teams in the Prairie land. They're now averaging a victory margin of 54 to seven in those three Ooh. wins. So you, we thought that was a really legit win when Mercer County got it. Right. It's certainly proving to be that so far. Uh, a, a really good season. You know, that they, 
they had that loss in Knoxville, but in the other three games, they haven't let up more than, than eight points. So, um, you know, looking at their schedule, they still got some heavy hitters. They've, they've got Rova left. They've got Stark County. They've got Weathersfield, uh, plus uh, a crossover game with Prairie Central, who's undefeated. So um, Mercer County playing well. They're going to need to keep playing well with what they've got left. Yep. Let's look at the slate in week five for the Lincoln Trail Conference. The big one we referenced already, Mercer County at Rova Williamsfield, Anno on Weathersfield at A-Town, Stark County at United, Lewiston is going to Princeville in a non-conference game or in a crossover game with the Prairie Land, and the non-conference game, the big one, Dupec at Knoxville. Mitch, that game just really intrigues me. Yeah, uh, looking forward to seeing Jackson Johnson versus A.J. Mulcahy. Um, and, and again, all the star players, you know, that we've, that we've talked about on both of those teams Two two really good teams on offense, two teams that can, that can knock you down both ways. Knoxville, maybe a bit, maybe a bit more of a, a running team, but certainly Dupac has that, that ability as well. So, and maybe that's the, that's the kicker, right? Can, um, can Dupac's passing ability maybe be the thing that puts them over the edge? Knoxville hasn't really shown that they haven't needed to, Yeah. Uh, you know, so maybe that's going to be an X factor here um, where uh, where the Rivermen take it to the uh, to the air. But I look at, you know, Bo Honeycutt for Knoxville. Sure. Three, yeah, that's yeah, three, three I, touchdowns. I, yeah, I'm not, so not giving him enough credit. I, yeah. I get it. Um, I, I just yeah. Um, I will say I will say yes. Overall. Yeah. In the past couple right. of years, we've seen Dupec spread it out and throw a lot more. I think the makeup of Knoxville has changed a little bit. We've talked about how much they ran the ball a year ago, but now they have gone to the air a little bit more. And I think maybe Honeycutt's abilities have dictated that to some extent. So this could be, you know, a great game. I guess the answers are, or I guess the question becomes who has answers on defense, you know, which, which one of these defense steps up and is able mm-hmm. to make adjustments and figure out, you know, we've talked about the two really good offenses here for both teams, which defense is able to kind of figure it out quicker and, and make those stops. Yeah, I think the same thing, too, in the Rova-Mercer County game, you know, yep. can for Rova, you know, we've talked about them being a bit of a younger team, kind of junior-led, you know, can, can Riley Danner, can uh, can can Jack Dotsell, can they really get things going for this offense? Because we've talked about how they're 3-1, they're and one. maybe they had a couple of, you know, easier opponents, um, you, you know, they had that tough loss to Macomb, so can they step up here in another big game for them um, in Mercer County, like we just talked about? had a really impressive game on the ground uh, here this week with Colby Cox and as they've done all year. So um, this is a big opportunity for Rova, I think, uh, playing at home um, it's to, to maybe prove that they can compete with the big boys here in the conference. Um, so, yeah, the, these are intriguing, you know, uh, matchups across the, the, the whole conference. I think, you know, Inland Weathersfield should pick up a win against A-Town, Stark County against United. Um, and again, adds more to the intrigue as the season rolls on. Yeah. When you start looking down the way, this Rova Williamsfield schedule, they have, like we've talked about Mercer County, that became that game, I think becomes really big because you still got Stark County left sitting at three and one. You have Anno on Weathersfield sitting at three and one in week eight and week nine, you still have Knoxville hanging out there. So right. they have a lot of heavy hitters coming at the end of their schedule so if they're going to make that playoff that playoff push, Mitch, that drive for five, right? They got they got to grab you know one of these two of these wins here. Yeah, and, and we should mention too, um, 
they've already eclipsed their win total from last year, right? Yep. So this is, this has been such a good season for Rova. Um, you know, they'll, they'll probably pick up that fourth win against United, be my guess, looking ahead. So, yeah, if they can win one of those four, and certainly they're, they're absolutely possible, um, Mercer County will be a good test for that and a good measuring stick, I think. Yeah, a lot of interesting, yeah, a lot of intrigue there in the Lincoln Trail. We'll certainly be talking more about it next week because the games will keep getting interesting. So right. yep. let's move into the Northwest Upstate Illini. Mitch, another one of those huge games, a game yeah. that really kind of caught me, you know, by surprise, if I'm being honest. Dakota yep. knocks off Forreston 34-28. What a game. Mitch, yeah. this might go down as one of, our, one of our game of the year candidates at the end of the year. Did you see the highlights on Twitter? It was It was a thrilling finish there for Dakota. Yeah, this was one of the games when I when I got back to my hotel room on Friday that I that I saw not only that it was final, but how it became final. And man, what a what a win for for the Indians and, and for Coach Dan Sheets. Um, I, I would say that I didn't expect this. Right, I, yep. I would have thought Forreston would have would have beaten Dakota. So, um, you, you know, it, it's uh, they looked like a Dakota team of old, right? So good to see that they had the all black on, which I hadn't seen before. So. Um, Again, great win. But yeah, Greg, run us through here. What happened in the fourth quarter? Yes, let's go through the game action in the fourth quarter. Dakota's Caden Niedermeyer scores to make it 26-20. They could not convert on the two-point conversion. Forreston would respond. Johnny Cobbler, your boy, runs it in. They do convert the two-point conversion. So they're up 28-26 late fourth quarter. Indians go on to respond they get the game-winning touchdown it's a pass from Niedermeyer to fullback Thomas Bowman and now when I say it's a pass I want to make sure I clarify the Bowman caught the ball and then he did a lot of the work on this play I mean he blasts through a defender carries another one across the goal line Mitch it's just that play that you love to see like that that heart that determination it was, it was just, it's everything you love to see culminating with the explosion of emotion, the cheering, the, you know, players going nuts. This is a program in Dakota that's been through a lot in the last two, three years to yeah. see them be rewarded on the field like that, man, that's, it's what it's all about, right? That that's a program yeah. changing type of win. Yeah. Great scenes there for Dakota and, and, you know, watching the games tonight, the uh, Buffalo Bills must have been watching too because they had a touchdown pass to the fullback tonight. So you never know who's watching. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the play to Bowman, it really was. Uh, he had a lot of ground to cover and yeah. just <laughs> bulldozed his way in and uh, was not going to be denied. So yeah, the type of play that you would expect from, uh, from Dakota, right? Um, and so good to see them get the upset win here. Good to see them kind of position themselves a little bit better in the NUIC here uh, midway through. Yeah, Mitch, we'll talk a little bit more about it down the road, but similar to Stark County getting their third win, I think this is a really big, really important win for Dakota when you look down their schedule in terms of pushing towards the playoffs. So I I think they can get to six. I I really do. Um, Yeah. Possibly even seven. So. They've already, you know, they've already got Lee win off their schedule. They've already got Forsen off their schedule. So um, obviously big games upcoming, but the way that Dakota played here um, could serve them well. Yeah. Yeah. Credit. Yeah. Credit again to Dakota. You know, there's, there's some of those games you see every few years that feel like a real momentum swing for a program. This felt like that type of win for this Dakota program. 
yeah and, and like we just talked about uh, with rova uh they have not dakota has now uh more wins than they did last year all, yep. already so um uh, again I, I i hope we go back or we'll go back to the season preview and list off the teams that we thought would have more wins than they did last year and i hope that we we talked about some of these teams because some of them are coming to fruition uh even through the first four weeks so cool to see good to see yep well let's keep moving down the way here lena winslow they continue to roll they get the win over west carroll 70 to nothing Another shutout in the Northwest Upstate Illini. Dupec gets the 43 to nothing win over Eastland Pearl City. Dupec and Lena Winslow both have big matchups coming up in week five. We'll get to those in a minute. Very intriguing yeah. matchups coming down the way for them. Galena gets the win 40 to eight over Stockton. Galena moves to two and two with the win. They've had an interesting start to this season. Their two losses coming to NUIC heavy hitters, Fulton and Lena Winslow. So I think there's a lot to learn in the next few weeks. And we'll talk about some of those games in a minute, but that's one of those matchups or one of those teams, Mitch, that's sitting at two wins. Yeah. Can they get to five or potentially six, you know? There's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it looks like I can foresee four and then, I think it will be either an upset win that they're certainly capable of, but again, the way that they played Stockton, um, you know, maybe, maybe they catch Forston off guard this week, right? Um, they, they've certainly played well this year in games. So um, yeah, Galena is going to be one to watch here with what they have left. Um, can they get to five? I, it's certainly possible. So yeah, this will be a team to keep on the, keep on the radar and, and hopefully get back to the playoffs again, like they did last year. Yep, one more game to talk about in the Northwest Upset Illini for the 11-man ranks. Fulton falls to Muskegon Catholic Central 7-6 to on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Defensive battle goes the way of Muskegon. The Crusaders scored in the first quarter. The Steamers were able to keep them out of the end zone the rest of the way. Fulton would add two field goals from Andy Quinage, a, a kicker we've really been impressed with this season. He had yeah. a field goal from 23 yards and from 37 yards. That would make it a one-point game, but that would be as close as they would come. They would fall just short. Mitch, overall, I think for a bigger school coming from Muskegon, I'm impressed with Fulton's efforts here. It was a rainy yeah. kind of, you know, not, not ideal field conditions, but they still really battled a tough team, a team that has a lot of pedigree in Michigan, a big school in Michigan. They played really well. They, they showed well for themselves. Yeah. The, couldn't get much going on the ground, which, which, you know, is unlike Fulton, but again, that, that kind of gives credit to Muskegon, but they did outgain uh, the Crusaders 137 to 17 through the air. So um, they had, a, they had a bunch of turnovers too, but uh, I should, sorry, I should say uh, they forced a handful of turnovers, but they also committed some as well. So uh, again, a, a tight battle here for Fulton. I, I don't, uh, you know, my prospects on their season don't change at all within the conference. So yep. um, again, one of those games where in the long, you know, long look at things that might not matter too much and hopefully serves as a experience builder, you know, um, for, for them as they have a pretty manageable schedule the rest of the way. Obviously this is going to be, we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, with Lena going to be a huge game for both of those programs, but for Fulton, uh, their path to the playoff is pretty clear. Um, and just, it'll be how, how good of a standing will they have there in one a. 
Yeah, I think, you know, like we've referenced with other teams, you know, you lose a non-conference game here, but you still have everything in front of you. You you can still run the table in the Northwest Upstate Illini, potentially. I mean, right. you still have a big one, a really big one coming up this week. We'll talk about it in a minute here. Yeah. But you've knocked off Dupec. So you look down the way, there, there's potential you can, you know, still finish with a really strong record yeah. and put yourself in a great spot. And overall, at the end of the day, you really, this Fulton team really challenged themselves in this matchup and they played well and they fell yeah. a little bit short. I think that yeah. experience against a big, tough football team will pay off dividends come playoff time. Well, Mitch, yeah. let's look at week five. Dakota goes on the road to Eastland Pearl City. Forreston is hosting Galena. The big one, Fulton at Lena Winslow. Another big one, non-conference yeah. action, Dupec at Knoxville, and then West Carroll at Stockton. Mitch, in theory, if you were coming back and you're going to one game, are you picking Fulton at Lena Winslow or Dupec at Knoxville? You only get one. I would, I would go to Lena. I, I, I think that that is really a, a, a heavy hitter, a, you know, uh, a matchup of this conference season probably for, for the NUIC. Um, as we mentioned, you know, Fulton already having knocked off Dupac, the, the reigning champion. So now they're kind of trying to cement their place there. We always talk about Lena as being the top of the conference, even though they didn't win the conference last year. But uh, they've certainly proven to, you know, cement their place as not only one of the top teams in the conference, one of the top teams in the state. So if Fulton wants to recover um, from that loss and, and continue to make that push for a conference crown, um, there, there's no better way to do it than this week and, and beat Lena. Um, but and looking at these these teams on, on a season, Lena scored 224 points this year. They've only given up 30. Um, yeah. Have they played the meat of their schedule yet? No. Um, has that really mattered in seasons past? Not really either. Um, but Fulton's sitting right behind them with only 41, you know, points allowed. So, you know, can Fulton – I think the bigger question will be, can Fulton stop Lena's attack? Because no one has this year, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. They, they've scored 60, 48, 46, and then 70. Um, and again, that's including 48 against a good Dakota team. So if, if, if Fulton can stop Lena, then I'll make it a little bit of a matchup. Um, I, I love what Lena's doing on defense. So th this will be a good game, a good opportunity to, for Fulton um, to, uh, to really, again, make a name for themselves, make a push to be that conference champion. Depending on which side you fall, is it better to be Fulton and be really tested in the week before you go up against maybe your biggest matchup of the year in Lena right. Winslow? Or is it better if you're Lena Winslow and you had a week that wasn't maybe as challenging? Guys probably got some rest in theory, and right. now you're gearing up for this big matchup. Is there a chance that Fulton can really come out, smack Lena in the mouth right away because they're playing so fired up? Here's the thing, though. I... I know Lena Winslow too well, and I just I don't think a Coach Aaron team is going to be pushed around early on in a game like this. They're just not. Right. They're going to be ready to play. There's too much. There's too much experience on this Lena Winslow team to not be ready for a big game like this. Yeah, and, and I, I've talked to to my people up there. They're certainly aware of what Fulton's been doing, so they're going to be ready for this game. There's no question about it. But as yep. you said, Fulton's battle tested. So if this is a close game, does that help them? 
Um, or does, does Lena with the way that they're playing, not even allow it to get close. So yeah, really looking forward to that one. That would, that would be the game I would, I would go see, uh, if I was back. Yeah. I, the, the, you know, I think that's the game you'd pick and you know, I might pick it as well because it's a conference game, but man, we can't forget this Dupec at Knoxville. This is a really yeah. intriguing non-conference matchup credit to both schools for making it happen. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great test. For Knoxville, I think it really bulks up their schedule. When you look down the road, they want to be battle-tested come playoff time because they're one of the bigger schools in the Lincoln Trail. So I think they want to be in a position where they've seen some heavy hitters going into the playoffs. This is a good test for them. Win or lose, like we've discussed in other matchups, this is still a good test for Knoxville. Man, I think that they could you know, they're playing well enough that they could knock off Dupec if they play the play a great brand of football, but also man, Dupec is a very dynamic offense and they play really well. So this Knoxville team will have to be ready for that. Yeah. And just the other thing too, with Forrest and Galena, two, you know, really good teams. I think that have been playing, have have played well this year, two teams that are both two and two Um, who can, who can again, climb that ladder above the other, get that third win. Um, cause with looking at what both teams have the rest of the way, a win here is pivotal for both of them. So, uh, in, in terms of getting into the playoffs, so, um, can, can force and kind of rebound from that tough loss to Dakota, you know, can Galena keep that, you know, they, they've seen, or we've seen when they play their tough games this year, they don't, maybe don't show up as well. Um, but coming off of a 40 to eight win, we'll see if they can repeat. Yeah, I think that 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 Forrest and Galena game becomes really critical for both teams. And I look at Dakota, you're going on the road to Eastland Pearl City, a team that has struggled this year, but they're certainly hungry for a win. They'd love to play the role of spoiler. I think if you're Dakota, you can't fall asleep now. You've got to get this win. You've got to move one more step in the right direction. And, you know, you can't overlook anybody at this point in the the Northwest Upstate Illini. So, yep. Man, Mitch, that, that's a loaded slate, and they're gonna there's gonna keep being matchups like that down the way. But yeah. this is a fun week of football. Yeah, all all the games that we've we've talked about, and, and even the eight man games coming up, all really really intriguing. It's gonna be a fun week to talk about. Yep. Well, let's move into those eight man ranks, like you talked about the big one in eight man football. Yeah. Amboy falls ten points short to Milford Cisna Park, forty to thirty in a non conference game in eight man football. Amboy trailed by eighteen points. With two minutes and 28 seconds left in the third quarter, they rallied within four with eight minutes left in the game, but ultimately fall to Milford Cisna Park. Mitch, this this Milford team has looked really good this year, and we were really high on Amboy, but I give credit. Milford Cisna Park came up to the Northwest Upstate Illini, and they came away with a big win. Yeah, I mean, just just look at it, and we're going to get into the results here more. Um, but looking at teams that have been ranked number one, you know, in eight man so far, I'm really looking forward to the playoffs, right? Yeah, um, yeah. We're going to see rematches, I think, um, throughout the rounds, and I I think there are four teams that could potentially win. You know, you could make a case for four teams to win. Uh, the eight man championship this year. So when they play each other in the regular season, they just go back and forth. Uh, it, it just makes the playoffs all that more enticing. So um, yeah, Amboy coming off that, that just crazy win, you know, over Millage for last week. Um, but Milford system park, like you said, just kind of said, Hey, you know, <laughs> we're here too um, as they're undefeated and a, a nice, 
a nice win here for them. Yeah, Blaine, Brennan Blaine continued to look good for the Clippers. He had a 45-yard touchdown reception. He also recovered a fumble in the fourth to set up a one-yard touchdown from Landon Welchel. And that would that was what pulled Amboy within uh, four points. But Milford Sizzle Park was too much in this one. So another very intriguing matchup, Mitch. We'll keep moving down the way. Yep. Milledgeville gets the win over Polo in the Blacktop rivalry, I believe it's called. Did we figure out the official yeah, name there? I think so. I think that's right. Yeah, they get Milledgeville gets the win 54 to 38. Early in this one, Polo jumped out to the lead. Caden Webster connecting with Avery Ganoble on a 63-yard touchdown pass midway through the first quarter. Then it was uh, Brock Soltau sprinting 73 yards on a direct snap with 244 left in the half. Marcos took a 16-6 lead into the break. But the Missiles would flip that script in the second. They score on their first six times they possessed the ball in the second half. So they really came alive. Colton Wilk finished with 102 yards and two touchdowns. He also had six catches for 85 yards and two screen pass touchdowns. Connor Nye passed for 194 yards and four scores. He was five for five, 130 yards and four touchdowns to three different receivers after halftime. So Connor Nye, a quarterback we've been impressed with, very good in this one. He also ran for 93 yards and a touchdown. Kaysen Johnson, a name we've called out, Connor Johnson, both had touchdown receptions. On the flip side, for Polo, the names we're familiar with, Brock Soltau finished 185 yards, three touchdowns. He also was two for four, 29 yards and a touchdown through the air. Avery Ganoble finished with 40, 14 rushes and 44 yards, along with a 63-yard touchdown catch. So an impressive win for Milledgeville. This polo team, I think they're, you know, they're battling in the in the NUIC. Yeah. They're sitting right now at two and two, but I think they're mm-hmm. a battle-tested two and two. Milledgeville oh, yeah. comes away with the win. They're now sitting actually at four and one. They already have a forfeit win down the road for them. So they're actually sitting in a really good spot. Mitch, let's move down the way to another undefeated team that continues to look impressive. West Central gets the 68 to 14 win over Peoria Heights. Like I said, the Heat moved to 4-0. Caden Drosty, five rushes, 123 yards. Bruce Bigger had three catches for 52 yards. On the defensive side, Mikhail West with nine tackles, three of them coming for loss. Mitch, we talk a lot about the NUIC when it comes to eight-man football, but this West Central Heat team could be a real serious contender, and we're going to learn more as the season goes on. They'll be tested down the way. They still have Milledgeville and Amboy on their schedule, two teams we just talked about. So a lot of fun eight-man football with those three down the way. Right. I, I should have said there's five teams, because I don't think I was counting one of the combination of West Central Polo, Millersville, uh, Milford, Cessna Park, and Amboy. Because, uh, again, like we talked about, five really, really good teams. And as they continue to battle in the regular season, uh, it's only going to make the playoffs all that more intriguing. Yep. Let's run through some more eight-man scores from last week. Ridgewood continues to look impressive. They get the 44-15 to win. I believe, uh, Mitch, they're only – lost this year was to that West Central team. So they're still yes. looking uh, very good. 
Yep. Hanover River Ridge gets the 46-42 win over Freeport Aquin. That's a nice win for River Ridge. Yeah. Hiawatha gets the 60 to 40 win over Orangeville. South Beloit gets the 40 to 20 win over Alden Hebron. And Metro East Lutheran gets the 42 to 16 win over Galva. So, Mitch, let's look into the week five schedule for eight-man football. Amboy is at Orangeville on Saturday. Ridgewood is at Aquin. That's an interesting non-conference uh, crossover game there in eight-man. Rockford Christian Life is at Ridge River Ridge. Milledgeville at Decatur Lutheran. Polo at Kirkwood Hiawatha. And uh, Flanagan Cornell Woodland at West Central. So, Mitch, where does your uh, where does your head go here for the eight-man ranks and what we got coming up? Well, I want to see I want to see how Milledgeville responds. Um, you, you know, with with coming off of the Amboy loss and then a nice win over Polo. I want to see if they can keep that going. Um, I I believe they are my number one team this week in eight man. So it'd be you know yep. the third different number one team here um, in eight man ranks. So I think that's where I I would go just to see if they can keep playing well, like the names that you said, Connor Nye, Cason, uh, and Connor Johnson. So. Um, yeah, I think I'd go Millersville here. Yeah, well, and that's a big matchup. They're going on the road to Decatur Lutheran, who's also sitting at 4-0 and now. So, you know, you talked about West Central looking good, you know, outside of the Northwest Substate Illini eight-man ranks. This Decatur Lutheran team, along with Milford Cisna Park, who got the mm-hmm. big win over Amboy, there's some teams still with an undefeated record in eight-man that I want to see them down the way here in the next few weeks really test themselves and see where they end up. Because I think, you know, there's a lot to be sorted out. And ultimately, Mitch, like you said, the eight-man playoffs are really setting themselves up to be a lot of fun. A lot of matchups that could be 50-50. You know, toss up, you know, toss a coin, see where it lands. So, yep. uh, Ridgewood, like I said, Ridgewood at Aquin. That game kind of intrigues me a little bit. And, uh, you know, can Amboy bounce back? They're going on the road to Orangeville. Orangeville's been struggling this year. But um, that's a program with a little bit of pedigree the last few years. So, can Amboy bounce back there? Well, Mitch, looking around, we've talked about, you know, that that playoff push or that, you know, that we're on the path to the playoffs here, at least yeah. that that drive for five. Looking around the state, read an article from Steve Susi at Friday Night Drive. Only 74 teams remain undefeated. And that's actually a number that's lower than what hmm. we usually have after four weeks of a season. OK, so ultimately, what does that mean? That means with a smaller group of teams at the end of the year that are going to be potentially undefeated or with one loss, these postseason brackets become, you know, less, you know, teams stacked atop, but a lot of teams bunched in the middle, which I think that makes for some really good, intriguing playoff matchups. Yeah, I I think as we've kind of talked about on this this episode through this this week, you know, we've seen a lot of a lot of teams that are sitting at three and one um, or two and two that have to play other two and two teams or other three and one teams still throughout the season. So yeah, it, specifically in the NUIC and in the Lincoln trail, I think you're going to see a lot of those teams that might be in the six and three or five and four range um, that, that are going to get in. And, that, and as you said, that's just going to make it all that more intriguing in the playoffs because they're quality teams that you know are playing other quality teams so um yeah interesting that there's only 74 teams left but 
um, again, I think in the long run, that's going to make for a pretty exciting playoff. Yep. Well, Mitch, before we wrap up this episode, I wanted to have a little fun discussion here. When we start looking at where we're at through four weeks of the season, I want you to name off some teams, you know, from all our conferences, we can go down the list Mm -hmm. teams with two wins or less right now that you think are going to make the playoffs. So I guess we'll, we'll start in the Western big six. And I, I will say it's, it, it might sound a little crazy. I don't think it's impossible for United Township to run the table. I don't think it would be easy. I'm not saying it's, it's, you know, likely, but I'm not saying it's impossible either. I think there's a lot of talent in this United Township team. Mm-hmm. If some things fall their way, if they play really good football, you got to play nearly flawless football. But I think that's, you know, that's the path they're on right now. If, if they, you know, that's the, that's the shot they have other teams, maybe more realistic. What do you see in teams that are left in the Western big six that have that playoff push? Yeah. I don't know that I would go that far um, as you just went. Um, I, I certainly think rock Island, you know, the way that they um, have played, obviously coming off of a loss against Moline. Um, but you know, they've got, They've got UT and Galesburg coming up. Um, I think those are winnable games, but then they'd have to win one between Sterling, Geneseo, and Quincy. So possible, yeah. Um, outside, outside of that, you know, I, I think we're going to see, a, a, again, this is, I got add, add this into what we were just saying, teams that are going to probably, we'll probably get a handful of teams at that five win mark and they'll get in in their respective classes um, because of the games that are left on the slates, you could make a case for, you know, either team in that matchup to win. So um, we're going to see a lot of good matchups starting this week and every week here in the Western big six. So if you're going UT, I'm going to say rock Island. Yeah. And I will, I will admit like it, it sounds crazy and I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's something that I expect to happen, Yeah, but I'm saying, I don't think it's impossible because Mitch, when you go back, when you go back a month and a half ago, United Township was a team that we talked about being at the top end of the standings potentially. And yep. if things went right, we thought they could win the Western Big Six. I mean, we thought they were one of the teams in the mix that had enough talent to do it, right? Yeah. And so that being said, the talent hasn't gone anywhere. It's the the, the same team that we were yeah. talking about having that potential. Now they're really behind the eight ball now. So it's not easy, but I just I felt like I needed to call it out that. Again, yeah. getting back to what I said a long time ago at the beginning, this is not the same United Township team that you saw five, six years ago that was 0-4. It's a much right. different makeup, a much different culture. I think they have a chance to do something really incredible here, and it would be yeah. it would be a hell of a story to sit and watch. Right. So I, you know, I'm just interested to see if we can All sit right. back and watch yeah, it. We'll, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. They got to do that. They got to win this week. So we'll and see I would if they say, win obviously, we would learn a lot more in the next two weeks, mainly yeah. even this week. Because like you said, I think Rock Island's that team sitting at two wins that this becomes obviously a huge game for them as well. So, well, Mitch, what do you see in the, in the three rivers? We'll move on to there. Uh, I'm going to go to the Mississippi here, Greg, to start. Um, I think Mendota can do it. I think Mendota can get five wins. Um, They've got winnable games coming up against Hall and Sherrard that could get them to four. And then they'd have to win one 
over Kiwani, Newman, or St. Bede. Um, I think they've got a shot to do it. Um, Newman, again, two and two. Girl Valley this week, they've still got Hall and Mendota on the schedule. I think they can get to five wins. Um, going to the Rock, or were we just in the Rock, going to the Mississippi. Or was I just in the Mississippi? Yeah, I was just in the Mississippi. <laughs> now, Sorry. Now, now I'm confused. Uh, it used to be so much easier when it was just one conference, right? Yeah. Uh, or one to one division. Um, and, and again, we, it just kind of seems that this is the theme that there's a lot of teams that I think are going to end up at five and four just because they just play one another. And you're going to, you could make a, you know, a note or a, you could see either, either team win an Erie at two and two, right? They've got, yeah. they've got winnable games coming up. Monmouth Roosevelt three and two. Never mind. Morrison two and two. Orion two and two. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a path to five for a handful of teams here, as we typically see. We, you know, in in, in traditional years of the Three Rivers, we do see five, six teams get into their respective classes. So I think we're going to see that again. I think for me, the team um, that stands out in the Three Rivers is Newman. I think yeah. that's a team that's at two and two now that will find themselves with five wins at least before the end of the year before the end of the regular season. Um, I think a huge matchup down the way becomes Orion and Morrison. Mm-hmm. We're both at two wins. And like you referenced, the other team in the mix there, Erie Profitstown. If they play yeah. well, Mitch, you could have a huge rivalry game between Morrison and Erie Profitstown in week nine. Yeah, right. One of those teams, both of those teams could be in that position to be looking for that fifth win. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Was that, was that a rival for you? Was Morrison Erie Provincetown? Was that one of your rivals being that it's pretty um, close prox, proximity? Yeah, wise? I mean, it, it, probably behind Newman and Fulton for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. the, the Erie games were always close. Um, I, you know, I think historically we had a better record, but those games were always close. So yeah, that, that's fair enough to call them a rivalry. Yeah. Yeah. So it gets a little tricky when you look at the Lincoln Trail Conference. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Nobody with two wins right now. Right. So do you see, do you see Princeville or Abingdon Avon or United making that playoff push? I think that's where the question becomes. And I, I'm not sure I see it because I I, think that those teams at the top of the standings have really proven themselves. Right. It's just the quality there between the top five, right. So far. Um, they've kind of bridged that gap there. So, but, um, so if we just narrow it down to those five teams, um, I, I think Knoxville is, is going to be a lock at this point, but then you've got four teams sitting at three and one majority of whom have to play each other. Some of them yep. play each other this week. Um, so maybe we'll have a better, you know, better kind of understanding of what's left after week five here. Um, because this is, yeah, this is where it gets interesting in Lincoln trail as, as they start to play those games and there's going to be a lot of, of shuffling here in the standings. Yeah, there is a lot to be decided in the in the yeah. Lincoln Trail, and we will we will soon find out. Well, Mitch, let's go to the Northwest Upstate Illini before we wrap things up. You got Forreston sitting at two and two. Yep. Like that's got to be the team that stands out. And then Galena, and they play this week. So I think Mitch, by the time we talk next, we will have a much better, clear picture on which one of these teams is kind of headed in the right direction. I think this, this is a huge game for both those teams. Yeah. Um, I think even looking at, again, looking at Dakota here, I think they're going to, they're going to get in with three wins right now with what they have left. I can 
I can already see two more wins on their schedule at least. Um, again, we're, we're in a little bit of that same predicament where some of these teams are going to play each other that are kind of in that mid-tier, like you said, Galena, um, this week with Forreston. Um, fortunately, you know, you don't see it happening with West Carroll or with EPC. So, yeah, I think I think Galena is the one that, that stands out, right? Can they get the win? an upset win potentially against Forreston this week. Then they've got EPC and West Carroll still on the schedule. So there's your five right there. So if they're going to do it, I think getting a win this week uh, would put them there. Yep. I agree. Quickly looking at the eight man division, we already kind of referenced Polo sitting there at a two and two team. Yeah, man, they're, they're better than a two and two football team because they've just played a tough NUIC schedule. Right. You know, I think you look down the way, I think there's still wins, plenty of wins down the way for this Polo Marcos team. I think that they're a two and two, but they're going to make a playoff push for sure. Yeah. And, and again, kind of like what we talked about, I'm, I'm really excited for the playoffs in eight man. Um, and obviously they do things a little bit differently than what the 11 man does. So we're going to see a lot of rematches in the playoffs and um, uh, again, uh, wins that occur in the regular season. And performances that occur in the regular season might not always be indicative of what's going to happen in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, looking forward to how the eight man is going to play out here. As there's, as, as we mentioned, there's five really, really good teams, and uh, who will come out on top uh, is to be seen. Yeah, I think one more to mention: Hanover River Ridge. They come off the big win over Freeport yeah. Aquin. What about them? They're one and three right. right now. They got Rockford Christian Life next week. They got Alden Hebron, who sits at two and two. They have a huge matchup against Polo. And then they end their season with Milledgeville and Orangeville. Right. So I think yeah. it's not easy. They, you know, they're, right. they're, behind, they're behind the eight ball here a little bit, but it, it's not impossible either. They, they could get a few wins there if they keep playing well. So that's one to watch for maybe. Right. What was uh... – okay, so, yeah, Milledgeville plays and... Decatur – to this week yep. indicators undefe- indicators undefeated so that's uh, again that's another um I, the, the list keeps adding of teams that are so good at aiming <laughs> football as uh, as they continue to to play here decatur still have to play uh system park and milledgeville so yeah. um yeah lots of good eight-man games still to come yeah and freeport aquin sitting out there at one and three can they yep. can they get the wins needed so it's they have, like i said those teams have work to do but you know it's teams that if they can get those Get those victories down the way. We'll see what happens. Either yep. way, a ton of fun. Mitch, we got, we're going to have a lot to talk about next week. There's, there's a lot of big yeah. games. Looking, looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing where you, uh, where you get to go. Um, assuming you're back in the saddle. Um, I'll, score. I'll be back. And no, no worries, Mitch. You won't. You'll get to hear Brian Stocking's voice this week. We'll get the Instant Reacts podcast back up and rolling. And actually, I didn't even get a, a stockpile Uniview pick this week. I, I don't know what his uniform was, the, the, the stats. Yeah. When, you, when you're when you gone, it just, it's just, you know, it's chaos. It's absolute <laughs> chaos. Well, I'll be, I'll be back in, uh, in the WQAD studios and we'll get, uh, we'll get the Instant Reacts back up and rolling. Mitch, we'll be back again next yep. Tuesday for our regular podcast with a lot to talk about and, uh, the playoff picture will continue to become a little clearer each week as we go along. So uh, right. Mitch, that'll do it for this week. We'll uh, we'll be in touch and we will talk next week. Yeah, that sounds good. 
That'll do it for this week's episode of View from the West. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go out to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and subscribe so you can follow along and downloads will come automatically every week. You can follow along on Twitter at ViewFromWestPod. You can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor, ViewFromWestPod at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.